25th Line, Mike Todd here, in arena host for your Columbus Blue Jackets, and you're listening to the Subjectively Speaking Podcast. And now, here's Jeremy Paul and Laura Norman. What is up, everyone, and welcome into another edition of Subjectively Speaking on the Hockey Podcast Network, presented by DraftKings. My name is Jeremy, and who the hell let this guy back? You invited me, so you tell me. <laughs> it's my fault. I, I take full full credit for, for this um, debauchery that's going to happen here on this episode today. But we are so, so grateful to be rejoined by my good friend, my fraternity brother, and honestly, just like an actual brother to me, our friend Steven Shrek. How are you doing today, friend? I'm doing great, brother. How are you doing today? Hey, not bad. Not bad. I So we're recording this actually on Tuesday. It's the day that Laura's interview came out. So if you haven't listened to Laura's exit interview, you're going to want to go check that out. I, I'm sure it's really good content. I produced the episode. I didn't listen to it. I didn't listen to it. I wanted everything to be just as organic as it could be for our interview today. I didn't want to know what Laura said. I didn't want to know all the questions. So I'm coming in this completely unaware of the questions. Well, most of the questions that you're asking. Um, and I am just so excited, but hopefully that interview went well. Hopefully y'all had a good time doing that. It was fantastic. Um, getting to talk with Laura and hearing all of her thoughts on the season, postseason, and about the podcast, which we'll come around to at the end of the interview. It, it was a great experience and a great time interviewing her and hearing all of her thoughts. And she's very knowledgeable about the game. And I know that she is uh, one of your hockey children so to speak. And so the fact that I'm now getting to interview her and she's able to kind of school me on some hockey knowledge and get me up to speed on how the season is going and how the season went for the Blue Jackets and where they go from here. And so speaking of which, Jeremy, are you ready for your questions for your exit interview? I have never been more ready for anything in my entire life. Let's, Let's start up some drama. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. We are going to start in the first period of this exit interview with grades. Much like you started with the exit interview that you all did at the end of last season for the first time. We'll start off a similar way for this time around. So first period, we have grades. Overall, Jeremy, what grade would you give this season for the Columbus Blue Jackets, considering it was the first 82-game season since the 2018-2019 NHL season? Man, that is – that's a good question because I think there are a couple of ways you can look at it, right? Like I think that like if you're coming at it from a strictly how do they perform, did they make the playoffs, are they going to win playoff series, I think you're going to get a much different answer in terms of grades uh, than if you just look at it from a holistic standpoint of of what the season was supposed to be, uh, you know, and all of the things that transpired – during the season i think that oh this okay we might be going down a rabbit hole but i'm thinking of this in terms of like if you're telling me that the average right so we're going to say like c here in america like that's kind of the grade scale a c would be average um and to me average would be like meeting the expectations no more no less like you're kind of meeting the expectations and for a lot of folks like that was pretty low (laughs) the expectations were pretty low in terms of how the Blue Jackets were going to perform this year. And I say you have to say that they exceeded those expectations. So you have to say they did better than a C. Uh, 
I think you have to say, like, a lot of folks had this team, and maybe not Blue Jackets fans, like, let's be honest. Like, I think we kind of thought that this season could go a little bit better than a lot of other folks outside of Columbus. I'm going to go with, like, I'm going to give it a B plus. I think that when you look at look at the way that the season transpired with all of the things that changed, with Brad Larson coming in as his first year as being the head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, with a lot of new names, you know, with a new leadership group, a lot of things could have gone wrong. A lot of things could have played into the expectation that a lot of people had for this team, and it didn't. And at times, this team looked really, really good. And we got uh, the other reason you go with a B plus here, if, if I'm honest, is because you get a chance to really develop some of these younger guys by putting them in really key pivotal roles, especially toward the end of the season. I mean, guys like Cole Sillinger playing first line minutes, second line minutes. You know, Jack Rosalick finally finding his his stride because he was given an opportunity on the first, you know, two lines, and so. Yeah, all of that to say, B plus, final answer, giving it a 3.3 on the grade point average scale. And I think that is a pretty similar answer to what Laura was talking about in her exit interview as well. She gave a final grade of B minus. And so I think no she would way. be shocked. I gave, a, I gave them a higher score than Laura. You did. And I think she would be absolutely shocked because in her interview, she talked about how she would be surprised about your response to giving such a high grade to the Blue Jackets for this season. And no, I think one of the- giving, Why is she giving such a low grade? Come on, Laura, what the hell is that? It's a great question. I think <laughs> one of the key uh, players are, yeah, one of the key people involved in the situation you already mentioned and your first answer here was Brad Larson. And that's a question that I wanna jump to next, a little bit out of order than how we did it yesterday with Laura, is I want you to grade Brad Larson. And what grade would you give him in his first year as head coach at the helm of the Columbus Blue Jackets? Yeah, A plus. Like I like I have to say A plus. And I think like if I go back to kind of where that methodology was for my last score, I mean I think the expectations I mean people were pissed, right? Like people were downright upset about the fact that the Blue Jackets hired Brad Larson to be the head coach of this team. And I think I think the first example, I mean, you and I both, like we grew up playing sports. And we had coaches that we wanted to play for, and we had coaches that we didn't. At least I know I did. I don't know about you. I don't want to, like, speak for your experience in sports growing up. But, like, and Brad Larson from the jump, right? Like, specifically, I'm, I'm thinking about the matisse Linux tragedy. Like, a head coach, it's not necessarily in their job description, right, to hop in a car, to drive four hours, to be present with people – uh, that are in his circle that are affected by something like that. Like that just doesn't, it's not, it doesn't have to happen, but Brad Larson made sure that it did. And that to me, like is the first step to showing like, this is a guy who not only cares about what's happening on the ice, not only cares about the product of what's happening on the ice, but he cares about his players. Obviously he cares about the people that are in this organization. And I think specifically when you're in this series or this period of a franchise, right. Where, where you're trying to to rebuild, retool, to develop some of these younger guys, like that's exactly the kind of coach that you need. And for him to be able to do that, and also for him to be able to, you know, I think one of the criticisms last year, and, and one of the things that I think Laura and I, when we came into the season, were hopeful for, was that it seemed like when our younger guys last year got into these moments where they just were kind of in the shitter, that John Tortorella, like just his coaching style and what he did, like he benched them, right? Like he took them out of the game, he didn't give them the opportunities to work through it to grit and bear it. He he limited their ice time. He scratched them and, and all that kind of stuff. And while that can be effective to some extent, a healthy scratch, I think, is humbling every now and again, and it can be healthy. But 
Brad Larson let these guys play through a lot of these bumps. And I think a lot of the players on this team are better for it. And I think for him to be able to have that kind of a poise in his first season, where I think is, I mean, obviously I will never be a coach in the NHL, right? (laughs) But I think there has to be probably an extraordinary amount of pressure on you as a first-year coach. If this thing crashes and burns, like the chances of you maybe even getting another coaching job are, are dwindling by every loss, right? And so... For Brad Larson, there had to be an extraordinary amount of pressure, but I don't think he ever let that get to him. And I think for him to be able to do all of that while showing his players that he cared for them, to me, that just is the most indicative sign of a quality head coach. And I'm excited to see how he coaches a team that could make some noise. Like, I think that that is going to be a lot of fun in Columbus. I know a lot of people will, will talk about how there's a head coach for the rebuild and then there's a head coach for – you know, the playoffs, the the championship runs and all that kind of stuff. You see it quite a bit in the NHL. I think about like Jeff Blaschel getting fired in in Detroit. Like that was the co- I mean, seven years. He spent seven years in Detroit, made the playoffs in his first year, but sent, spent six years, you know, in the basement of the league. And that that's the coach that they picked to go through their rebuild. And now they're gonna have plenty of people to choose from in terms of being their coach to lead them through it, right? To the next step. And so uh, I'm hopeful that Brad Larson gets to be both of those for the Blue Jackets because I think he deserves it, I think, especially after this season. And I think he's going to be one hell of a coach down the stretch too. Uh, I would want to play for Brad Larson. I know a lot of people probably would. And so, you know, I, I got to go with the with the straight-up A-plus for Brad Larson this season. I, I'm sounding like the homer. Now I'm afraid that, like, maybe there's some weird, like, reverse psychology going on here. There might be. You gave a, a score of A plus to Brad Larson. Laura gave a score of B plus, also favorable from her point of view. You all were talking at the beginning of the season after the changeover from Torts over to Larson that they were sticking within their organization. They were sticking with someone they knew, and Larson ends up leading the Blue Jackets to a thirty-seven and thirty-eight record with seven overtime losses also tacked on to that. And so I think overall, these grades are fair from what you all talked about and seeing where they ended up with the season. And I think where I want to move to next is talking about midway through the season, just about there was a trade that the Blue Jackets Mm -hmm. made and offloaded Max Domi and brought in Aiden Hershuk. And so speaking of grades, what grade would you give that for the Blue Jackets there at the trade deadline. Can I cheat? Sure. I don't know why I'm asking. It's my show, girl. Uh, no. <laughs> you have uh, permission to do whatever show. you would like. We yeah. do what we want on this show. Um, no. So, I mean, I will, I will cheat, but then I will actually give a grade. My first instinct is to say incomplete, right? Like, my first instinct is to say we can't really, we don't really know yet. Right. I mean, like Aiden Ruschek, like seems like he could potentially like play NHL games. Like that's kind of where the scouting report is. doesn't seem like he's going to be a game breaker by any means. And I don't think that they necessarily need somebody like that in their defensive core. I mean, I think you look at guys like Zach Wierenski and you, th- you talk about what Adam Boquist should develop into. I mean, you've also got guys in the pipeline, like, <laughs> like, um, Corson Kuhlman's, um, and Stanislav Spotsel, um, I mean, it's just like the, there are plenty of people here, and Sam Nashko. Like, there are just so many defensemen that could turn into NHL players for the Jackets. I think 
I mean, in terms of just like an actual grade, like I give it a C. Like, I mean, like, and that's again, like going with average, like going just with like down the rope, like average. Like, I'm not mad about the trade necessarily. The reality of the situation and something we talked about on the show this season was like, you look at what the Blue Jackets have right now in their forward core. You look at, they've got guys um, pretty much like four or five deep at each position uh, in their in their forwards. And so I, I look at this and I'm like, where would he have fit, right? Like where would Max Domi have fit if they decided to bring him back next year? And I don't know that I have a good answer for that question. And I think that that goes to the point of asset management where it's like you want to give up um, – or you don't want to give up somebody for nothing. And the Jackets, ultimately, I mean, they give away a pick to, to Florida to be able to, to foster that trade. And maybe that's the part about it that I'm not a huge fan of. Like, I don't love that we had to give up that. I think it was a sixth-round pick um, to Florida in order to broker that trade. But all in all, when you look at it, I think that the Jackets managed the assets there. They Yarmulkekalina was able to get something back for a player that obviously, like, and this is the other point of it too, that I don't even know that we talk about enough. Like if Yarmo Kekalina would have had a better trade at any point during the day, he would have made it. Like that was, that was his best bet. Like that was his best offer right there. Like it had to have been, or else you don't take this to three o'clock and almost not get it done. And so I'll go with an average C. The real answer in my head is incomplete because we don't know what Aiden Rishek's going to turn into. You could ask me that question again in five years. I could say that was an A-plus best trade of Yarmulke Kekalina's career, or you could ask me that question, and I'd be like, yeah, shit happens. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of where I find myself falling in, in line with that. I'll take that as an invite in five years' time to come back and ask you about Aiden um, Perfect. Absolutely. And so Laura with a grade of B-plus for that, and Jeremy with a grade of I. And we move on now to handing out kind of on – maybe the opposite end of that spectrum, not yeah. necessarily the incompletes or maybe the unknowns, but what we do know is that there were players who performed well this season for the Columbus Blue Jackets and deserve that recognition. And I want to give that recognition here on this podcast. And what I would like for you to do now, similar to a grade, but more so the hockey style, I want you to hand out your three stars of the season to the players for the Columbus Blue Jackets that you think deserve it the most. You can go in any order. Laura went three stars, two stars, one star. You can switch it up. Girl, it's your podcast. So whatever you'd Thank like you so to much. do, roll with it. Three stars. <laughs> Who have you got? Oh, I want to clip you saying, girl, it's your podcast over and over and over again. I don't ever want to let go of that, like, ever in my entire natural-born life. Um, man, okay, yeah, I mean, this is tough. This is probably one of those things that I probably should have done some homework in coming into. I mean, obviously, given it some thought. Um, but, you know, I look at it. There are a lot of really key key players on this team this season. You know, you've got guys who you find themselves, you know, at the top of the points, right? You know, you got Jakob Voracek at 62 points, Oliver Bjorkstrand 57, and Patrick Laine 56 was in the top three. But I think that's over oversimplifying things. Like, I think that there is definitely some complexity to to this equation. And for that reason, I'm going to go – my third star, I'm going to give it to Sean Corrali. I'm going to give Sean Corrali my third star. Actually, before I keep going, did Laura cheat? And did she, like, do, like, a tie for third star? Like, did she, like, make it, like, so that there was, like, two third stars? Do you want me to tell you now before you yeah, get out no, of stars? Yeah, because, because I, I, I need that luxury as well. You absolutely are correct about your co-host. For her second yeah, star, I mean, she had a tie between two players. <laughs> it's like it you work the, with her. Was it at least the third star that she did two people for? 
No, it was the second star. Okay, but here, okay, I'm going to rant. Uh, can I rant? Let me rant. If somebody's tied for second, wouldn't they just be third? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of where I find my brain. Like, I'm like, you can't, like, how do you have a tie for a second, like, two stars or your second star? Conversation for your next podcast episode, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a must listen because she's going to be like, why did you yell at me? Um, That's feed for the mill right there. I'm telling you. Okay, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Sean Crowley as my three. Um Yeah, this is tough. Um, because then I'm gonna go. I, and the reason for Sean Crowley at three is like it's not necessarily about points, right? Like it's just about the fact that like I've never really seen a player come in and fill a role that was predestined for them in a way that Sean Crowley has this season. I mean, I think he's made everybody that's played around him a lot better. I think that's been a lot of fun to watch. I think he's been exactly what this lineup needs. I think it's a lot of what this lineup was missing since a player like Brandon Dubisky retired, a guy who like can go in and win key face-offs and can play really meaningful hockey minutes when you need him to and kill a penalty. He was great this season. Uh, and then, oh, God, this is so hard. Because two, I want to say, two, I want to say, Patrick Line. I want to say Patrick Line at two. I think I think the thing about Patty, right, is like there's so much adversity in his season. Uh, you look at obviously starting the season as being this player with like a little bit of a target on their back. Like I think that there are a lot of people that really had a lot of high expectations for him going into the season because let's be honest, he didn't necessarily play to the to the level of play that I think he would have wanted to, that I think Blue Jackets fans would have wanted him to. And then I know that my co-host wanted him to. And so I think about I think about Patty in that sense where I'm like, this is also kind of to me like a most improved uh, player award in the sense that uh, he really did like, I mean, let's be honest, like injury is one thing. Like to come back from an injury, it can be challenging, but to come back from – a uh, really traumatic life event like losing your father, right? Like to uh, have to reacclimate to that existence, to to play a game that you love, and that you loved with somebody that isn't there to love it with you anymore. Like that, like I think we all can like relate. Like it's not maybe playing hockey, but I think we all can relate to like there being something in your life that when somebody's not there to enjoy it with you anymore, it's different. Doesn't mean it's bad. Doesn't mean you don't like it anymore. It just means that it's really different. And so for him to be able to do all of that, to come back, to play just as well as he did when he came back, I mean, my God, I mean, like, just like absolute heater when he came back. And it just was a lot of fun to watch and it was really heartwarming. And I think also just like to, to see him embrace Columbus a little bit and to see him buy into what's happening here was really cool. Uh, and I think for that reason, I'm going to give him my number two. Oh, and then this is like. The tough one for Laura too was giving her out out her first star and so it seems like you're in a similar spot now coming down to your first star well can i let me before i do the first star like i feel like this is like typical of like awards or whatever is like honorable mentions let's like like, let's talk about some honorable mentions that i have sure before revealing who i have as my number one star i think zach is somebody you have to consider to be an honorable mention um you know he's somebody that is stepping into a role that um what was left absent in the trade uh, for um, 
you know, for Seth Jones or, or, or trading Seth Jones, I should say. And and for that reason, I mean, to be able to step into that role as a number one defender, but then also to step into this role as a leader on the team, that's been really cool to see uh, him do. And and he did it all while, like, setting, like, individual records, And it, which is funny because, like, we didn't really talk about Zach Gorensky in terms of, like, his scoring prowess this year or – or his playmaking, but I mean, he set records this season, right? Like in assists and in points. And so we just didn't talk about it because we kind of expect it from the guy now, like, right. Like he kind of gets that like a little bit of a burden where it's like, ah, oh, we kind of expect it from Zach. Like it is what it is. And maybe he didn't put up 20 something goals like he did a couple years ago, but man, I mean, he had a really productive offensive season too. Uh, Gus, and coming from a, a oh, go ahead. coming from a defender too, Columbus had 43 goals from defensemen on the season. Yeah which was I mean, sixth in the NHL all season. So Wierenski plays a big part in that. Yeah, because, I mean, oh, this is a test. Boquist had 11 goals, maybe, I want to say. Zach was around 10, 9 or 10. But then, like, Jake Bean, yeah, I mean, like you said, like, I mean, the defenders for Columbus just found a way to, to score. Knowing that they're sick, that, that was a hell of a stat by you. That was good work. Um, because Courtesy of the Columbus Blue Jackets end of season, season by the numbers newsletter that they sent out. So. Look at that. Come on. Shout out Columbus Blue Jackets. Y'all are really, uh, really the team of the people. Uh, out here helping us. I'm telling you, right? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think about like, I think about Gus Nyquist, who also like in terms of like a comeback season. I mean, guy didn't play last year. And yet he's, I think, fourth in, in scoring for the Jackets this season. Uh, never really made a ton of noise, but was always a consistent playmaker for this team. And always was able to find, find guys streaking and was always able to like really energize this team when possible also playing a really pivotal leadership role. And I mean, like the last honorable mention I'll give, although I feel like there could be a lot more too, uh, to me goes to, to Cole Sillinger. I mean, like you can't like tell me that this 18 year old kid, did you know he's 18 by the way? Like, did you know that Cole Sillinger is 18 years old? Uh, I'm sure did, if, if he's one of Laura's three stars, I know she said that. I know she said that on the, um, yep. Okay, great. Cool. Um, <laughs> God, it's actually scary how well we know each other. It's, like, actually pathetic. Um, but, yeah, I think, like, for him to just have the season that he had, too. I mean, like, I believe 16 goals. Um, you know, just, like, what a catch for the Jackets uh, Cole Sillinger was. But Cole Sillinger kind of leads me into who my number one star is, and that's Jakob Voracek. Um, obviously, he's a team – like, he led the team in points, which – is not necessarily why he's getting this in my book. Um, why he's getting this in my book is because, like, again, like he's just kind of like the exact player that the Jackets needed him to be this year. Like, you needed somebody to come in who was going to feed Patrick Line, who was going to create offense for a bunch of different guys, but he took his role on, on the team to, like, an entirely different level. And I think that that's been really clear. I think seeing the way that he has worked with players like Cole Sillinger, you know what I mean, like, like these young guys – to really try to work to develop them into NHL players that not only like are good, but like guys who are going to have like really long and successful careers. Like, I mean, like when you're learning from a guy who's played over a thousand games in the NHL, who is able to play make the way that he is and is able to bring an energy and just also like, I mean, like he seems like probably one of the most badass teammates to have. Like he seems like the kind of guy that I know I would put on my back because I know he'd put me on his. And 
for that reason, I think that he is going to be a story well after this season for the Jackets. And maybe we won't ever talk about it. But I think when this team is winning Stanley Cups in five, six years, a lot of that is going to be because he might not even be on the team. He might not even play hockey anymore. But a lot of that is going to be because of what Jake Voracek did as a leader on this team, what he did as a playmaker on this team, and how he took it as his responsibility to develop some of these young guys to be who they are going to be in the NHL. Like that's pretty fucking cool. And on top of that, like the storyline for me personally of like Jake Voracek was a jacket when I was a kid, right? Like when I was young, when I was in the, you know, depths of learning about hockey and starting to love hockey. I mean, like Jake Voracek was there. And for him to come back, I mean, I know the trade sucks to lose a guy like Cam Atkinson. How many times did she say Cam Atkinson on the show? I want to know that too at the end of uh, at the end of the broadcast. But um, <laughs> I'm just like that to me is part of why I love it so much and why I'm going to give him some honors. Um, I feel like a jackass for not saying names like Oliver Bjork's fan or Jack Rosovic or things like that. But at the same time, like three stars, I'm going to do that. Just the three. That's it. Um, Sean Corrali three. Um, Patrick Line A2 and Jakob Voracek one. A great overview there. And so I feel it's only fitting to let you know that Laura put Goal Cylinder as her third star for the season and also mentioned the same thing um, that you did about his age, only being 18 years old. Her second star, she tied as Boone Jenner and Elvis Merzlikens. And her first star, Jake Voracek. So you both agree there wow. that Voracek had a sensational season, really took some young guys under his wing, and really started helping this organization find and have that veteran identity along with all of the fresh new faces that they had as well. But I can't believe I didn't I wanna... put Boone in my honorable mentions. Now that you said Boone, I'm like, oh, you dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> the captain. I the know. Captain, I know. captain himself. It's a recency but, bias thing, too. I, I'll own that. Like, there's some recency bias in this because, I mean, he hasn't played in a few weeks, right? So, like, they, to me, like, you know, again, guys like, you know, I don't know. Patrick Laine hasn't played either. Neither Sean Crowley. So maybe my argument's invalid and maybe I'm just a jackass. But um, <laughs> I love Boone Jenner. I, I'm a big Boone Jenner guy. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned that Laine, your second star, had a lot of big expectations placed on him this season considering – um, how last season really turned out for him. Yeah. And so I want to talk about expectations for our final question of the first period. There has to be a player, I imagine, that failed to meet your expectations this year. And not so much a grade for this player, just sure. talking a little bit about a player and providing some commentary on who failed to meet your expectations this season. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're both going to – I feel like Emil Bemstrom is, like, the first player that comes to mind. Because, uh, I mean, like, he's a player that needed it, right? Like, I mean, like, he's a player that, like, needed to have a really strong season this year. And maybe not even really strong. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being overdramatic. Like, he just needed to, like, show that he could do it. And I don't really know that he did. Uh, and that's hard. I think that he's somebody that I see as being – a guy who might not be in the league next year because of his play this year. And that's always a bummer, right? Like, I think, like, no matter what, unless there's, like, a an absolutely, you know, extraordinary circumstance, a la, like, you know, Adam Foote or, um, you, know, you know, guys who, like, Jeff Carter, like, made a, a stink about leaving Columbus. 
like my thought is like once you play with the Blue Jackets, like I'm on your side until until you stop playing hockey. Like there's a part of me that always is gonna like have like a soft spot in in my heart for you. And I feel that way with Emil Bannister. Like I really want him to be good, right? Like I want him to be an NHL or it doesn't even necessarily have to be with Columbus, but I just feel like he's played himself out of that possibility right now. Doesn't mean that it can't happen in the future, but right now I feel like he's done that and that sucks. Because uh, that's a loss for the Blue Jackets, and it's unfortunate for him personally. So that's somebody that I think is probably like, if you ask Blue Jackets fans who they're the person is that they're most disappointed in all season, uh, I feel like he would probably get the majority of the votes. Um, I think for me too, like I look at guys that had an opportunity to really kind of forge a spot in the lineup for themselves this season that I don't, I don't know if they did. Um, Eric Robinson's a guy who comes to my mind. Um, he started the season pretty well. Like, I feel like, I feel like we talked about him a lot on the show at the beginning of the season. I feel like he was really strong, especially when that, uh, you know, that Robinson, uh, Crowley and Chinnikov line was going. I mean, that felt like a really good line. It felt like a lot of fun, but I feel like he kind of got passed and laughed by a player that I think maybe plays somewhat similarly, like maybe not identically. And that's Justin Danforth who wasn't even a part of the organization before the start of the season. And so I think of that and being like, I can, I can see a replacement on the team already. And if I'm looking at Eric Robinson and that sucks, like I like, again, like Robinson's a guy who I really wanted to see thrive this season and kind of cement himself as kind of like a Josh Anderson light. And he didn't do it. And for that reason, we're sitting here and we're talking about, okay, we just got done talking about the depth of forward for the Jackets. And you know for a fact that that core is not all, like that whole litany of forwards are not going to all be back on this team next year. That's just like, first of all, I don't even think they can field a team with all of them. But at the end of the day, like he's probably somebody that you get you think about moving this offseason. And that is not something that I think when we started the season – uh, that we saw as a possibility. I think we were all scared shitless that he was going to get picked up by Seattle, and that's why we were, you know, did everything we could to keep him. And so uh, it seems like he's also somebody that I'd have on my list. So I'm going to go with uh, Emil Bamstrom and Eric Robinson as my two. Well, in talking with Laura, who is also a Blue Jackets fan, along with your co-host, also identified Bemstrom as a player who failed to meet her expectations this yeah. season, much for the same reasons. I don't think you'll be surprised listening to both Laura and Jeremy here talking about Emil Benstrom. If you followed the Blue Jackets this season, it sounds like most fans are on the same page about him as a player this season. So we are going to head into our first intermission now and take a break from grading the players and thinking about sure. that. And ask do you a couple the, do you of, have this set up like a game? Like, do you have this set up in like three like groups of questions? Jeremy Paul, do you think I would come into these interviews ah. unprepared? That's why you're here. You're doing, I, I'm living for this. So for the first intermission, we're going to ask some subjective questions, subjectively speaking, if you will. Oh, yeah. So you know oh, I had to throw the pun in there. Time. I'm having such a good time. Wait, actually, Absolutely. can we go off on a tangent here for a second? How shocked were you when you found out that the name of the podcast that Laura and I started and that I came up with the name for was uh, used a pun? After all the years that I gave you shit in college for using puns, how like shocked were you to find out that we used the pun in the name? I was very proud. And to hear that it also came from you was honestly baffling. I thought it might be. You were the first person I thought of when it came to me. And 
it it turns out that the podcast was named something different at first and it just yeah. so turned out that the name had to shift a little bit just would, for semantics purposes i would say that maybe that was still like a pun but like not in the same way like it like capitalized on the I don't know. Um, it did. Yeah. It did. I, You're right. You Absolutely. Are, it capitalized on the almost closed uh, right. O for the C. So You are my punspiration, my friend. The punspiration. Well, I'm glad I could provide such uh, level of humor, I guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you consider pun a form of humor. Um, if not, then I guess uh, you've already tuned out of the episode. But regardless, <laughs> um, here we are at the first intermission and we are talking about those subjective questions the first of which being jeremy what was your favorite game of this blue jacket season oh what was my favorite game of this blue jacket season because there i mean there are a few answers like i mean obviously like opening night was pretty cool because it was just like obviously you had the tribute to matisse kivlinix and and all of that you had um, you know, a pretty substantial win over over uh, Arizona. And then, I mean, obviously, like, everybody's back in the arena for the first time in forever. Like, that was just really a cool feeling and a really, um, a really good time. Oh, man. Who – what was my favorite game this season? Oh, no. As you're thinking about that, I mentioned to Laura, she gave her answer as a different game, but I mentioned opening night since I was also at that game that when the Blue Jackets beat the Coyotes 8-2 to on opening night, no one expected that team to come out and put up eight goals on opening night, even if it was an emotionally charged setting with all the fans in the arena and and celebrating the life of Kiv Lennox. And so I think that game stood out to me. I went to a couple games this season, but that one really stood out to me the most. Yeah, I mean, I, I was honestly, like, if I'm being real, like, trying to think of any other game that wasn't the Rick Nash jersey retirement because, like, that to me, like, and maybe it's just silly for me to even try because I think I think I probably explained it well enough on the show around the time that it happened, but if you were a Columbus Blue Jackets fan and you're around, if you are, and you're around the same age as, as us, like you, Rick Nash just was like so important to you growing up. Like he was like, I I remember, and this is going to sound so stupid. My dad was a quarter season ticket holder. And as part of that, you know, he used to get to do like little things or whatnot. So they did a call in show for season ticket holders to ask questions of God knows who, I don't even remember who the players were that were on on the call, but I called in on my dad's phone. I don't even remember how old I was at this point. Like it would have been right when Rick Nash signed his uh, extension in Columbus. That was like the, the contract that eventually was traded. Like, uh, and I asked the question, I was like, how meaningful is that to you all and all this kind of stuff? And I'm like over here, like 13 or 14. Like, and that's like the question that I'm asking because like Rick Nash was just so important. And I mean, it's moments like that, that I will remember for the rest of my life. And you know, for him to, I mean, be what he is to Columbus now even is just so important. And also for that to be uh, Nick Felino's return, for the game to end the way that it did. I mean, obviously the Jackets lose and that sucks. But for the for the Jackets to find a way to tie that one up at the end, uh, Jake Voracek, the guy who, like, refused to score any other goals this season, scoring a goal there. 
it just was all it's top notch. You can't beat it. And for me to even try to is just disingenuine. Absolutely. And I think that was an honorable mention for Laura in her interview was the Rick Nash Jersey retirement game. She also mentioned shutting out Carolina 6-0 on the road as one of her favorite games of the season. And speaking of other teams other than the Blue Jackets, Blue Jackets obviously not in the Stanley Cup playoffs right now, which is unfortunate, but all the same, there are still NHL games happening. Playoff hockey is hard to beat. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Soccer being my main sport that I follow, I don't think anything comes close to touching playoff hockey. There's just something about it. And so with that being said, Jeremy, our second question here um, in our first intermission is asking what your Stanley Cup Final Four predictions are, what teams you think will be in that Final Four, and then ultimately playing for the Cup at the end of the season. Yeah, before I answer this question, I want to check in. Are you okay? Oh, I'm doing well. Yeah, I fully anticipated – for those of you who maybe are tuning in to their very first episode of Subjectively Speaking, my very first hockey team that I was a fan of is the Nashville Predators. If you're following hockey right now, they got waxed by Colorado. Colorado is a great team, and you know, losing 4-0 still stings. Couldn't get a game at home um, in Nashville, but all the same, fully expected. I think Colorado personally will have a, a chance at lifting the cup this year, but I know that Jeremy might have some different thoughts about that. But overall, I'm doing well. I appreciate the check-in, though. Of course, anytime. Um, I don't really have very many different thoughts than you about the Avs. Um, the Avs are a team that I have in my Final Four coming out of uh, the Central Division. Out of the uh, Pacific Division, I've got the Calgary Flames. Uh, out of the Atlantic Division, I've got the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, which does hurt me. Uh, and then I've got the uh, – oh, God. Who did I pick? I think Carolina. Yeah, the Carolina Hurricanes um, down there in the Metropolitan. Um, I've got a Stanley Cup final matchup of the Calgary Flames and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, And I've got Calgary lifting the cup at the end of it all. Um, I just think that that Calgary team is built for the playoffs, although right now the Stars, I mean, by the time this episode comes out on Friday, I mean, obviously we'll have a clearer picture of what – what the first round results are going to look like, but yeah, I mean, I look at the I look at the matchups right now and think that Calgary, if they find a way to win uh, against Dallas, they're going to have a uh, a favorable matchup, I would say, against either the Oilers or the Kings. Um, you know, the Lightning going back and forth with the Leafs like crazy right now, but it seems like the Lightning could potentially have that one if they just keep playing their game. So that's my final four. That's my championship matchup. And uh, the Calgary Flames are going to bring the cup back to Canada. Back to Canada. It goes for Jeremy. Laura mentioned the Flames versus the Panthers as her final and that the trophy would be going back to her more preferred Florida team other than the Tampa Bay Lightning, who you have losing to the Flames in the Stanley Cup final. But that means that we are now going into our second period of the exit interview, which is talking about the end of the Blue Jackets season and going into the offseason and questions relating to where the Blue Jackets go from here after finishing what ended up being an average finish in terms of record, so to speak. And so... What I want to ask about, though, is from this season, after everything we've talked about with players, with results, what is your biggest takeaway from this season? 
I think that the kids are all right. Right. Like, I mean, like, I think that like, that's like the tagline that comes to the brain is like, this team is going to be okay. And I think for a lot of folks, like they were like sure of that at some extent, but like they weren't sure when they were going to be okay. And I think the answer to that question is they're going to be okay sooner than I think most of us thought they would be. Uh, this team is poised to potentially make a playoff run next year if all the pieces align and if everybody develops appropriately and if some other things shift around in the division that maybe make it a little less competitive. I'm thinking about maybe the Washington Capitals finally you know, needing to put somebody in a retirement home or whatnot. And so I, <laughs> um, so when I think about that, I like this team, um, you know, moving forward, the way they finish the season, I think it kind of just like breathes an air of uh, light into something that I think when we first started talking about the idea of like a retool and people like kind of like made fun of the thought of it. Um, that was a pretty dark moment, I think, for Jackets fans. Like where they're like, what do you mean? Like we're going to have to like do this shit all over again. But I think it's very clear that we're not, we're not doing what we did after the first playoff run over again. We're not doing what we did uh, the last couple of years again, like this is, this is going to move forward. It's not going to necessarily be linear, but like, this is, this is going forward in some way, shape or form. Some nights it might feel like it's not, but, uh, but overall the, the general trend is up. Absolutely. And you mentioned in that answer, your tagline, the kids are all right. Another stat from that newsletter that I pulled and asked Laura about, um, there were 15 players this season who made their Columbus Blue Jackets debut, 10 of which were NHL debuts. And so a very young team, a lot of fresh new faces skating out there on the ice that fans may not have known of right away, but may soon come to know. And so hearing that stat, any thoughts or comments that you want to provide on that? I mean, it's just wild. You said 10 made their NHL debut. 10 NHL debuts out of the 15 Columbus Blue Jackets debut this season. That's crazy to me. Like, I mean, like that is just most since the 2000, 2001 season that 15 is. Yeah. Which would make sense. That that was all of them, right? (laughs) Right. That would, that would have been all of them. So it makes sense. But not too, not too far off from like what that number probably was. Did they say what that number was in 2000? How many people played for the Jackets that year? Did they say? That's an excellent question. I'm unsure. Um, but I'll try to look it up while you're providing your thoughts. No, you're all good. I mean, like that is just absolutely shocking, right? To like hear that number, like 15 new guys and 10 of which making their NHL debuts. And I think like that speaks to just the overall depth of the organization right now in terms of, in terms of fringe NHLers. And I think that that's where we need to be a little careful, right? Like, I mean, like I don't want to disrespect any players who are kind of those fringe NHL players, but when you look at players like Carson Meyer, um, and to some extent, I mean, like Brennan Gauntz and like, well, Brennan Gauntz wasn't making his NHL debut though. Um, but when you, when you look at those guys, you got I mean, they might spend more time in Cleveland than they ever do in Columbus. And that's not inherently bad. Like, it's like, you need people like, guess what they're doing? They're playing pro hockey. Guess what I'm not doing? Playing pro hockey. So I can't really talk much shit, but like, I, I, I look at it and I think like more so out of those 10, the ones that should stand out are guys like um you know obviously cole cylinder kent johnson um a player that we probably don't talk about very often because of how again we talk about recency bias is daniel tarasov like that's the player who's going to have a lot to say about about you know being a part of this organization in the future and so him i mean nick blankenberg like these are just guys that like are going to be a part of the fold for the jackets in terms of players who made their nhl debuts igor chinikov like 
it's just I mean, and even Justin Danforth. I mean, like Justin Danforth is somebody. I mean, even looking, um, did Gregory Hoffman also make his NHL debut? I obviously forget about him. Like I keep forgetting about him all the time that he didn't. You know, he played for the Jackets this season at some point. But, um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of new faces, a lot of new faces to the NHL. I think that that's really exciting. Absolutely, definitely exciting, and definitely memories that those young players will hold on to making their rookie skate out on the ice as well. And so I want to shift to talking about now, instead of the end of the season, the off season, where the Blue Jackets go from here. And so I want to know, Jeremy, what changes do you want to see made during this off season? It's hard because like, we've talked about like the personnel thing. And like, I feel like there are so many options that like, you think about it and it's hard to like actually quantify like what could happen also because like John McEachalina does this thing, especially when the team is like at this level where he'll make a trade that like nobody sees coming or he'll sign somebody that nobody really had on their radar. And I think defensively, this team has to get a lot better. Like this team has to be so much better defensively. Um, Obviously they gave up the most goals in franchise history, which to be uh, about a 500 hockey team, like hockey 500, um, and to have given up the most goals you've ever given up in franchise history. I don't know if y'all have been here for the franchise history, but there's been a lot of bad period. Like this has been a lot of bad. (laughs) And um, for that to happen in a year like this, where like, it's not abysmal, that should say something about just how many goals this team gave up this year. And that's not necessarily just an Elvis Merzlikens, Jonas Corbosalo, um, JF Barube, Daniel Tarasov issue. That's a, that's a blue line issue. And you know, this team has, again, they have the prospects, they have the guys coming up. And a lot of this, like, to be fair, is just age. Like a lot of this is going to fix itself with developing. And that's what makes me nervous. I listen, like, I'm awful. What? I'm all for full chaos. Words are hard. I don't know why I host a podcast. Um, but I think about like a guy like Jacob Chicken. Like, I think about a guy who's in Arizona right now who's likely on the move, and Columbus has been rumored to be around him. And I'm like, what What does your defensive core turn into with the addition of Jacob Chicken? Who Who do you leave out, right? Like, who who gets left in the dust there if you bring in another defenseman? I mean, you kind of did that with Nick Blankenberg. He wasn't somebody who was on the prospect radar until April, and then he's here, and now he's a part of the future – and I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve to be, but that's a wrench, right? Like that throws a wrench into looking at who all is going to be a part of this. And so for me, like I, I need to see our blue line get better. I need to see the addition of an enforcer. Like I need to see somebody who's going to get in there and who is going to absolutely ruin the day of anybody who thinks that they can give our rookies shit. Cause that's, I mean, this team is going to be the youngest team in the NHL next year without a doubt. Like again, like they are going to be toward the bottom of the league in terms of their age. And guess who's going to take advantage of that? everyone (laughs) like everyone is going to push this team to their limits and if they don't have somebody who can step up to be like actually like i think the fuck not like then they're gonna like get pushed around and bullied all season long you can't have that happening like you can't have that happen it's not the same i'm gonna make this analogy just because it's you and me and you know who day but like it's like having joe burrow drop back and get sacked fucking 15 times in a seat like you can't have it happen like you can't let your young guys who are supposed to be the future of your team get injured possibly risk their career or just stunt their development and thankfully for our Bengals, that didn't happen with joe burrow sure he got the shit beat out of him for a year and a half but like 
nevertheless, like he's still good. I need that to be what happens for the Jaggers. I need these young guys to stay healthy, well, and to develop at the pace that we need them to. In order to do that, I need a guy who's going to come in, who's going to bust some heads if somebody has something to say about it. Who do you want? Oh, who do I want as an enforcer? Damn. Um... <laughs> That's a question that I just came up with right now. That's not on my list, but I you mean, just mentioned yeah. it. So who's your enforcer? Who would you ideally want there? I mean, the issue is, right, like you're not going to get a guy um, – I mean, you're not going to get any of these guys who are like major goal scorers, right? Like you're not like – I. you could say like a guy like Tom Wilson, but like he's – for, for one, not leaving Washington, but for two, I don't think that that's what you need if you're the Blue Jackets in terms of, um, you know, in terms of, you know, your gaps there at Enforcer. I think about players more so like a Ryan Reeves, um, who I believe is a UFA at the end of the season. I want maybe he's not. Maybe he still has another year. Um, but I hold on. Let's see here. I had somebody else in mind, but I can't remember his freaking name. I'm going to have to see it with my eyeballs and I've got it pulled up here. So just give me, Oh, like Nick Delorier, like that's a player to me that like is going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season. Uh, he's got a whopping 13 points on the season, uh, but throw him on the, on the fourth line at left wing and let him just mess some stuff up. Like those are the kind of players that I'm thinking of in terms of, of enforcers for the jackets. And maybe that comes from in too. Like maybe Trey fix Volansky's that guy, you know, all five, seven eight of him um but he plays an aggressive hockey style so that actually now that i've said that no don't not try to fix Lansky, but like somebody who's just going to come in there and be an asshole like that's kind of what i want there you go different ways that the blue jackets could go defensively laura also mentioned getting rid of some of the struggles on defense as part of her answer there and i think what i want to shift to now is thinking about some of those key players heading into the offseason and the word untouchable comes up in sports for players that you don't want to get rid of, right? And so I want to know from your perspective, who are the untouchables heading into the offseason for the Blue Jackets? Well, I mean, oh, that's a – this is a question that I told you to add, and I'm already like, I still don't know, like, what <laughs> – what my answer yes, is. Yes, absolutely. You told me to add this question. I thought it was a great question to fit in right here. Obviously, other than Elvis Merzlikens, who that is the player that all of Columbus knows is currently under contract for several more years. So he's definitely an untouchable. But all the same, are there other players that come to mind for you that maybe are running out of contract or maybe are contract and will break contract or whatever the situation might be? Who should be untouchable for the organization? Yeah, I mean, I think – I mean, my heart says Patrick Kleiner, right? Like, that's somebody who, like it, – it's clear that, like, that's somebody that you want to to be a part of this franchise moving forward for the foreseeable future. If that isn't mutual, though, like – and I think it is. I think it is. So let's not – let's not, you know, hashtag cancel subjectively speaking party. Um, I – but, like, if that's, like, unclear at some point this season, like, he's not untouchable, like, to me. Like, at least I think about, like, asset management – um, you know, a guy like Zach Orensky to me is untouchable. Uh, he just re-upped for an extended period of time, right? So he's going to be a jacket for a while. Um, Boone Jenner, another player who re-upped, he's untouchable. <sighs> Cole Cylinder is somebody who I would say is untouchable. But then again, like, if you know what I mean, like if somebody, if, if you get a phone call that's like, hey, Cole Cylinder and, you know, whatever else, 
for this year's first overall pick, like you say, yes. Like, so, I mean, like, I guess is anybody untouchable? Like maybe I'm, I'm grasping at straws here, but uh, I, I say he's not, he's an untouchable. Um, One of the other players that Laura Ken mentioned, Johnson. she Ken also Johnson said Line A and Wierenski. Um, She also mentioned Oliver Bjorkstrand. Yeah, I would say he is untouchable. I And again, Kent Johnson to me is also untouchable. But I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think he is untouchable in the sense that, like, the value would just have to be so, so stupid for him. He's got such an incredibly good contract. And so it's like, if a team wants him, they're going to have to pay out the ass for him. And that might be a crazy return. So maybe you do consider it at that point. But I think he's on my list, too, as somebody who who is an untouchable. Absolutely. A great list of players who have a couple years experience with a Blue Jackets jersey on. And I think that is a great place to leave off the second period and head into our second intermission, which is only one question long. But it is one of my surprise questions that I threw in here that neither of you know about. I gave you a list of questions coming into this, but I left a blank spot that said surprise question here. And so it is once again speaking to an experience that happened during the course of this NHL season, but speaking from your point of view, speaking subjectively. There was this fantasy hockey league that happened for subjectively speaking. And it looks like Jeremy has actually dipped out of the call for just a moment because he knows exactly where this is going. And it just so happens that I spoke to the champion of the Fantasy Hockey League first in Laura. And Jeremy came in second place and was beat by Laura by just about, uh, not to be specific, but 3.6 points at the end of the tournament. And so, Jeremy, I just want to hear your thoughts on the fantasy hockey season, how it went, and speak to any part of the second place finish or any part of the season and how it went. Yeah, so for me, I my team was so up and down all year. Like, I was actually shocked to make it to the final. Um, so that in and of itself was a win for me and also to win my division. Uh, was pretty shocking because my team, I think I went like, I started strong, but then I think I lost like six games in a row, like five to five to seven games I lost in a row. And things were looking bleak. I think I was 500, uh, maybe even under 500 at a point. And then all of a sudden my team did the opposite and started winning like crazy. And it just, I had so many injuries this season. I mean, Nathan McKinnon was one of my key players. He got hurt. Drake Matherson was doing great things for me. He got hurt. Uh, so, I mean, just a lot of that off season for me, I couldn't get goal- consistent goaltending to save my life. Uh, I think if I would have gotten just slightly better goaltending at any point during the season, I would have maybe had a better chance at it. But um, yeah, I mean, all the credit to Laura. I mean, like she like took it serious. She, I mean, <laughs> she played her cards right and well, and she was on top of it. So kudos to her, man. I mean, like, it's not easy to win a fantasy hockey league. Like it's really hard. You got to stay on top of it. Things shift like crazy. I mean, let's be honest. Like, the team that when you finish drafting, the team that looks the best is never going to be the team that wins because there's so many variables in a hockey season. There's so many guys who aren't going to have the seasons that you expect. There's so many guys who are going to have breakout seasons. And so if you're lucky enough to pick up some of those guys, then, you know, great. <laughs> if you're if you're unlucky and you pick a player who ends up getting benched all season or because of an injury, then, like, that sucks. Um, I have to say 
that I blame my playoff championship loss on Jean-Francois Berube. And that is because Laura had Elvis starting that, that game against Pittsburgh, the last game of the regular season, the last game of the fantasy hockey season. Jean-Francois Berube gets to start. So theoretically, Elvis should have gotten her no points in that game. Elvis should have gotten her zilch. Jean-Francois Berube, no, with no help of his teammates, by the way, like I'm not, this is not all him, goes out and lays a fat egg and Elvis Merzlegan comes in and gets four point something points, as you mentioned, enough to push her over the edge and beat me, um, which was poetic because Elvis was the reason she lost a couple of games because she was really like, Laura, and I'm sure she said this, like I know she said this, is like way too loyal and way too emotionally drawn to her players. And so like, for her to even like, I had to convince her to drop Boone Jenner. Like Boone Jenner had been hurt for like three weeks or four weeks before she was finally like, maybe I should drop him. And I was like, maybe, <laughs> maybe you should. Um, and, and so, I mean, I, yeah, that is my reason for blaming Jean-Francois Barube. But at the same time, like Laura had a really great team. It wasn't, that wasn't the reason she won. She won because she had a really great team and uh, she should be really proud of herself. But she should know, she should know that she's catching these hands next year in fantasy hockey. So that's, that's my decree. She went from last to first, which I think is very impressive in and of itself. And she also wanted me to mention the word pizza to you to see if it meant anything. Yeah, yeah, it does, in fact, mean something to me. I do, in fact, have um, her order saved, and I'm ready to send it her way, uh, a nice little pizza from Pizza Hut. Um, so she'll get that at some point in the near future. I feel like I have to deliver it by hand to just, like, rub it in my face a little bit, though. So that's part of the reason why um, why I've waited to this point. We are recording a uh, – we're, we're going to go on a recording marathon uh, here this weekend, actually. So um, – I'll be in Columbus, and so maybe I'll deliver her a pizza then. I'm sure she will be excited not only to see your face, but to see a pizza delivered by you yourself in person as a reward for her winning the Fantasy Hockey League. Well, we are going to move past our second intermission and move into the final period. A couple of questions here. And I want to move into talking about this podcast, subjectively speaking. I think we covered the Blue Jackets extensively and talked about the season as it was and the off season to come. And so I want to talk a little bit about you and Laura and this podcast and where you're at and where you're going with it. And so to start, you all have had some fantastic interviews, some fantastic folks come onto the show that you have interviewed. And I want to run through a list of these names. As I told Laura, I'm pretty sure I, I pulled a Santa Claus and double checked the list, checked it twice and made sure that I got everyone. But I'm so sorry if someone has been left off this list. And now this is the second time I'm reading this list. So I really hope that I didn't miss anyone. But you all have interviewed Matt Pfeffer, Mike Todd, Deanna Weinheimer, Spencer Saylor, Jeff Svob- Jeff Svoboda. I've also messed up Jeff's name twice now. I'm sure he's so sorry. So I apologize, Jeff. Okay. Um, Jeff Svoboda. Catherine Dobbs, Peter Lovins, and Dylan Tyrer. All great interviews in their own right. And I will definitely not ask you to pick a favorite interview. But the question (laughs) I want to ask out of this is, what have been some of your favorite moments from those interviews and some of your favorite insights that you have gathered from interviewing all of these wonderful folks? Well, I think it like... 
I mean, just hearing that list of people too, like as corny as it is, like if you can't help but smile and like think about all those people who gave our podcast at some point in time, the time of day, uh, because that that's the reason why I think Laura and I have been able to, to continue on with this show is because people have bought it and like people have like given their time, their energy and just themselves to the show, which means the world. Like, and I think that that's more indicative of what it's like to be a Blue Jackets fan and what it's like to work for the Blue Jackets because, like, all those people, like, they're busy folks, but they recognize the importance of access and the importance of visibility to the fans. And so that's been a lot of fun to, like, kind of get to see that piece of it. My favorite part is always I love the interviews. The interviews are great. Um, But the second that, like, you end the broadcast, right? Like the second that I scroll my little cursor up and I hit end broadcast and nothing else is on record and all that kind of stuff. You can tell that from the start of the show, when you introduce each other as strangers um, to the end of it and to the time that I hit end broadcast, um, you've learned enough about each other. You've uh, like, just like shared like really meaningful memories and you've shared a, a beautiful shared experience and talking about the blue jackets and you hit end broadcasting your friends like that's the part about it that is so like wild to me and the the conversations that happen thereafter like after you end the broadcast and you just kind of like shoot the shit for a little bit and you're not even talking shop like it's just like you're like talking about you and like all that kind of stuff like these people are really awesome people everyone you just mentioned is dope <laughs> so i think about just like those interactions and and what that's meant for us even even off the air i mean like running into somebody like Catherine and giving her a hug at nationwide arena and you know doing a fireball shot for her mom and things like that like it's stuff like that that's like that's so cool like to just have that um and I hope every Blue Jacket fan like has that, like it feels like that access is there to them too, uh, because it's so cool to see this team really buy into their fans. The Columbus hockey community is one of a kind, and I can imagine that you all can attest to that firsthand. Uh, let alone just being a part of the community and being fans of the team itself. And I think this podcast has been a, a great conduit in making those connections even stronger and being friends and having professional connections too with people that you never thought may have been possible when this journey first started for you and for Laura. And that's where I also kind of want to hit on is look how far you all have come, right? There have been some big moments that have happened this NHL season for this podcast, right? Um, Subjectively speaking, his first birthday, the 100th episode, of this podcast and the first subjectively speaking road trip all happened during the course of this NHL season. And so thinking about that, how far you all have come from this idea you had in the shower, which is what Laura mentioned as part of her answer with all of this. I think I'm curious, but I think other people are also curious what your vision for the podcast is not just for this off season, but also what, can listeners and fans expect going forward from you and Laura with subjectively speaking? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just like, for me, the thing that makes our show different and not better, but I think different uh, than other shows. And just, I mean, not even just like blue jackets podcasts, but like, I think that we are so like focused and we care so much about, the people like I think that 
I have like chills even just like saying that. Like I like there's something about the humanity of it all. And that to me, I think it's so lost in this. Like I think in some ways social media, things like that have helped to humanize things, but I think in other ways, like it has helped to dehumanize so much more. Uh, the ability to access and comment and you know share thoughts on on things as if they're or, or people as if they're things and entities versus thinking about people as people and thinking about uh, just how impactful humans can be when when working with one another and uh, just like giving all of themselves to each other and really just being in community over over something that's a shared love like that to me is why this show exists is because there is a shared love and that is the columbus blue jackets but all in all there is a higher umbrella of like not just shared love for the blue jackets but laura and i shared love for people and i think that when we get the chance to like talk to people and like know people and and show love to people and all that kind of stuff like that's when i feel like this podcast is at its best uh, I think when Laura and I get on this show and it's after a weekend where we just met a bunch of Blue Jackets fans who are sharing about their like their fan story and are talking to us about what the Blue Jackets mean to them or we're talking to a player about what being a Blue Jacket means to them or we're talking to somebody who works in the front office about what it's like to do that. Like that's the part of it. Like just like knowing where people are at as people that really excites us. And you can probably tell on our episodes when we're going through moments where we're getting a lot of that and moments that we're not <laughs> like, um, and so to me, the future is more access, more access. Like it's more accessible to everybody. It, it really brings in all groups of folks. It is a, a podcast and a community. Hopefully we're building a community that, um, you know, truly and authentically, uh, advocates for Columbus to be a different hockey market, to be a market that cares so deeply about the people that are involved in this market that everything else doesn't matter nearly as much. What happens on the ice, that doesn't matter as much as what's happening off the ice in terms of the community that we're building. And so that to me is where I see the podcast going in the future. And, uh, I hope that we never lose sight of that. Like, that's the thing that I'm always like, I don't want to say worried about, but like, that's the thing that I always have in the back of my mind. It's like, I never want to lose that. And I don't think we're anywhere near losing it because it just is something that's so energizing to Laura and I both. And I, and I can't wait for that to continue to happen. Absolutely. And I think all of the folks who listen to this podcast will not only recognize the passion that you and Laura have for the Blue Jackets and for this organization and for this team, and for its fan base, but also the genuine nature of your personalities really shine through in the conversations that you all have through this podcast and through this medium that you all share your love of the game and your love of each other with everybody. And I think that positivity has a spreading effect on the people who tune in and listen to the show. And I think that's my final surprise question for you all is thinking about your co-host, right? And I asked Laura to do this oh, as well. No. <laughs> is to I share pride. What are you gonna ask? A 30 second message. To the best of your ability, 30 seconds. She took like 60 to 90 seconds, you know, more yeah. than 30. But to the best of your ability, you know, a quick message to your co-host, Laura, what would you say? Uh hey Laura. Um, it's Jeremy. Uh I would say uh 
that it's so fucking cool to see you be just such a beacon of of light to every Blue Jackets fan. Um, specifically, I love seeing the impact that you have on the communities that are underserved in the hockey world, uh, whether that's women in hockey or LGBTQIA plus folks in hockey and just your advocacy and your allyship for those folks, uh, your, your advocacy and your challenge to hockey to always be better uh, to our folks of color and to the black community who's ever present in hockey. Uh, all of that is always just so cool to see. And it's always such a, a great time being your partner in arms as we're doing that. And also like, you know, you, you got them hockey smarts, bitch. You really do. Um, you are probably one of the smarter hockey fans that I know uh, and your ability to synthesize that in a way that is understandable to folks and doesn't, make this show pretentious like I sometimes do with my analytics corner is really meaningful. And I'm the one that went way over 30 seconds. I think mine was like almost two minutes, but Laura, I love you very deeply. And I am so blessed to be doing this with you every single week. An amazing message to end on. And Jeremy, that concludes all of the questions that I have for you for this exit interview for this season for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And so I want to take an opportunity and thank both you and Laura for letting me ask all of these, you know, tons of questions of you recapping the Blue Jackets season and asking some more personal questions about where the podcast is heading and talking about your wonderful co-host, both of you. And so I appreciate the opportunity coming on, being asked once again, to use my voice to help facilitate a conversation. I always appreciate it. Um, I know that I'm not the, the hockey expert in all of this. I'm simply asking the questions, but that's why you all do the hockey talking. And so I appreciate the opportunity to come on, ask you these questions, and it's been a blast. So I think both of your answers for all of these questions really align with each other and provide different perspectives while also being on the same page, which is really unique and awesome to see. And so I, for one, look forward to the off season and to hear what you all talk about for this summertime in between this season and next for the Blue Jackets. I appreciate you, friend. And don't let him tell you that he's not a hockey expert. He knows what he's talking about. He's not, he's just not giving himself enough credit. All those questions are courtesy of him. He, I mean, Shout out to you, Steven, and thank you. I know that next summer might be a little busy for you for a few reasons, but um, I do have one question to ask you. I'm flipping the script. Okay, you can flip the script. This is right. There is no script at this point because the script there, yeah, is we're over, so script. It's, it's, we're there is no now. script to flip, so um, Hey, if you're not busy, say like next, next June-ish because, you know um, – Care to come back and do this again? Absolutely. If you'll have me back again, I'll think of some new content, some new material to ask about. There will be a new fantasy hockey season to hopefully quip about as well. But I would absolutely relish the opportunity to come back and ask you all some more exit interview questions. I would say same time next year, but I would like it to be later in the postseason that we do exit interviews. Personally. I would also like the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I would like there to be some silverware involved. Um, that that yeah. might be a little bit of a long shot, but you know what? I think like you said, if they have the right pieces in place, maybe I hope you know that what? we're playing into June next season here in Columbus. 
you never know what could happen. Well, we're going to wrap this one up today, mostly because I know from producing Laura's that it was a minute and six or an hour and 16 minutes. And I'm just still a shade under that. And I know that if I go any longer than her, I will never hear the end of it. So um, I always make fun of Laura for rambling. I think I did my fair share of it today too. Uh, but you all can, uh, here I am doing my best Laura Norman impression. Are you ready? Um, you all can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at subjectively pod. You know how to spell it. You're here, right? Um, so check us out there. Facebook, and YouTube. Uh, that's going to be Subjectively Speaking. You can check out our website, subjectivelyspeaking.com. And if you want to get some merch, you're going to go over to subjectivelyspeaking.threadless.com. Um, go, make sure you follow Steven on social media too. Steven, I don't know your, I do not know your app by heart. So I'm going to drop it to you. It's just my name at Steven Shrek. It's okay. a, a funky right. last spelling, um, but S-C-H-R-O-E-C-K. I should have put my at. I noticed that with Laura, she also put her Twitter handle as the the name on the bottom of the screen. So I should have copied that for this time around. But I'll be quote tweeting some of the subjectively speaking content that will be coming out over the next couple of days. And I'm a frequent interactor or with the, the content that they're putting out with social media. So if you see uh, Stephen S, Stephen Shrek coming up across the content, That'll be me. You can go ahead and give me a follow to all sports of all kind. But yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the plug. Wasn't expecting that. Any and always. Any and always. What kind of we've been talking for an hour and a half. Um, so <laughs> that's what happens, right? <laughs> that's what happens, right? Um, but until next time, y'all, I hope that you take care of yourselves. Hope you take care of one another. And we will chat very shortly. We're gonna get into some really cool content for the rest of the offseason, doing some uh, more in-depth player reviews for the season coming up here moving forward. So uh, keep it locked on our social media to know what our posting schedule will be. Um, but until then, just know how much we love you, fifth line, and we will talk soon. Bye.